Hello, and welcome to this extra podcast. Why extra? Well, today, August 9th, 2022, is my 50th birthday. I know you're listening and whatever you're doing, you're saying to yourself, but what did he say? 50? No, surely it can't be true. Well, it is. And under the circumstances, I've done reasonably well. Although you will be able to find out more about me a little later on this year. More to say about that later this month, perhaps. I've been very lucky in getting opportunities to talk to many top stunt professionals from all over the world over the last 10 years since the YouTube channel started and over the last four years since I started podcasting. I thought, unlike conventional birthdays where the guest provides for the birthday boy, I would reverse the tables and give you a gift instead. A compilation of some interview clips lasting just over 50 minutes. Couldn't get it round to 50, unfortunately. I did try, but from top guests, five of them in total. We start with a man who, apart from being a professional racing driver, he's also one of the go-to guys in the US when it comes to stunt driving. I start by asking him about the early incident in the family runabout. This is Tanner Faust. Uh, when you were 18, I believe, um, you did have a little bit of a mishap with the family car. Um, and uh, that kind of... Oh, it, Search is so good, yes. You know, you, you had a bit of an issue there, and, and this this would have would have given you a sort of cra- literally a crash course in gravity, as far as that's concerned. Did, did, that, uh, did that shine a light on, on, on thinking... You know just how lucky you were in that case because obviously this there's no cage in this. I mean, this is an actual physical accident you you've had. Do you remember much about it? Oh yeah, I remember it like it was last <laughs> week, and it was uh, you know it, it was a, a brown uh, Honda Civic wagon. Okay, or state? Did you say state car? Yeah, yeah, um, state. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and uh, we were. There were some roads in Northern Virginia that were just awesome. They're kind of like tunnels through the trees, and you know you could jump the cars a bit. And okay. uh, is that I ended up there? jumping. Yeah, I jumped one uh, road, and the the road ended up turning on the other side of the jump. So uh, okay, we went off the road and rolled seven times back over front. Oh. So I still, I still have never done that again. You know, even you know crashing for a living, it's I still have never done a back front tumble like that. Um, but to do it without belts and, and to walk out of all that stuff. Yeah. And now I find, I definitely know enough now to realize how lucky we were, but yeah, that was a good lesson in inertia. I'm going to knock on you. I right. really even had a, had a crash that big since, but it's, it's a, um, the, you know, you, you don't have respect for momentum and inertia until you really feel how far it can send you into the, so you just know, just, just to clarify, because I, I just want to picture this in my mind's eye. This is not this is not like the equivalent of going just rolling. This is this is uh, end over end over end. So it's it's the 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 hood over the over the the trunk, and again and again seven times is the way you went. Yeah, it was oh, it was dear. pretty gnarly, and it was in this briar bush. You know, okay, so this is Virginia, lush vegetation uh-huh. and you know thorn bushes. So it's actually fairly soft at the very end, but my a friend of mine, uh, Mike Daniels, he climbs over my lap to get out because his door is sealed shut. Yep. 
it was a cold night. So we had on a down jacket and I just remember saying, okay, hold on, calm down a sec, Mike, hold on. He climbs over me. He goes running out through the thorn bushes to get back to the street. And his jacket is shedding feathers everywhere. So he looked like this chicken running through bushes with feathers flying off his back, running in circles in shock. I mean, it was a pretty surreal scene for sure. Um, now, Eva, of course, you know, take into consideration that you've, you've, you've totaled the Honda. Having said that, you've walked away, the pair of you, you've probably got more injuries from that bush than you did from the, from the accident itself. I, I would imagine that a, a very serious complimentary letter went into Honda and go, you know, all right, I've ruined one of your vehicles, but boys, you really know your engineering. That was seriously well done. I mean, I was optimistic 18 year old. So I even fired it back up and tried to drive out of it. Oh. <laughs> um, and it ran, but did it, the, did uh, it turn over? It, yeah, it ran, it ran there, but it was just high centered in the bushes. It couldn't go anywhere. Wow. And the, uh, so I, I ended up getting a Honda CRX after that. I stuck with Honda for a while. Mm. So that was my, my payback. After that roll in the Honda end over end. Can you believe it? Now let's talk to a stunt woman who comes from a remarkable family. Kachina Deckard is the daughter of top flight musicians Greg Deckard, who played guitar with everyone from Bad Company and Uriah Heep to David Gilmore. Her mum is Jodie Linscott, who is one of the world's greatest percussionists. She's played with The Who, Tom Jones, who gets a mention a bit later on, and Elton John, to name but a few. So, how does a girl from a musical family managed to get working in films, riding motorbikes, and driving cars. Well, as she tells us here, probably by accident. Let's go back to, to maybe uh, that pre-stumbling into the work thing. So, you, because the if you look at your biography from, from, from an outsider's point of view, they look at it, the fact that obviously you've, you've had this background with your parents, and then there's a, a, a sort of shift into speed and motorcycles where did that come from was that was that something that you you were doing uh at weekends or was it something that you were doing as a hobby or how did that that start that passion for for the motorcycle well funny funny story again <laughs> i totally stumbled into that as well right i had i had a friend of mine used to race uh motorcycles on the racetrack obviously uh-huh. and um one day he asked me if i wanted to come to come with him and I was like yeah that's that's wicked yeah of course I want to go and I was like I can't wait to watch you and and he was like <laughs> I'll never forget the way he looked at me he looked like, I like I was a total idiot and he was like no <laughs> you asked to race with me like ah, I want you to come race with me right and I was like well shit I've never ridden a bike before and you know this was only about eight or nine years ago okay. and um and I'd never ridden a bike before. And he, and he looked at me again like I was an ass. And he said, well, go get your license. And I, it was so obvious. I was like, oh, you're right. Okay. So I went down four days later. I got my motorcycle license, which in America is very, very easy. I was going to say four easy. days, yeah. Yeah, well, I walked in and walked out in about 15 minutes. Wow. Um, so, and then I had my bike license. And so the first time I ever rode a bike was on the racetrack. <laughs> which actually I would highly recommend anyone to learn on a racetrack because mm. it's the safest place to be and it's with a bunch of professionals and right. you don't learn all the all the negative bad crap. You you start at the top and you learn everything in a very safe environment. Anyways, okay. so my first day on the track 
was amazing. And my fourth day on the track, I was dragging knee around corners, which is kind of ridiculous. Well, <laughs> but it, I just took to it really quickly, and um, I loved it so so much. And that's kind of where that came from. Well, so thanks the, to my friend. Oh, I was going to say thanks to him uh, <laughs> is where you are now. The 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 idea. I mean. Again, we, we, you have to put yourself in a different situation. The idea that you were here in London, if you were to do that, just, it's physically impossible, surely. You wouldn't have been able to do it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's just goes back to that being in the right place at the right time, I guess. I just happened to be where I was. Oh. I was actually in New Hampshire, um, in America. Okay. And maybe they're just a little bit more chillax over there, which, lucky for me, that's just happened Absolutely. to be where I was in that moment so, of time, you know? Um, so by day one, there you are going around a racetrack. And that's, that's an interesting point, actually. And uh, he was nodding. He's a motorcyclist, you see, so he was nodding uh, there. <laughs> yeah, when you, when you were saying, look, if you're going to learn, do it on a racetrack. That's a very interesting point. Yeah, because, totally. You know, you're not, you're not surrounded by people who can't drive cars, can't walk properly, can't do anything. You're surrounded mm. by people who are professional. Right. I just, I just, you know, it's a great place to learn anything on the track. I'm just, you know, for me personally, I'm so glad that that was my first day on a bike. And it was cool. You know, I, <laughs> it looked ridiculous. I mean, I rolled up, rolled up there with a 1995 Triumph Trophy 1200 and, you know, <laughs> never having ridden a bike ever in my life. Just and, uh, you know, I'm 115 oh. pounds. Now, I was going to say, for, for he's, he's, he's laughing here because apparently that's one of the biggest, I'm not a bike man, so I don't know, but apparently that's one of the biggest bikes you can ride. 1,200 horsepower. It is. Yeah, nine, a nine, it was a beautiful bike, a 95. I love those Triumph trophies, but yeah, yeah. it was the first bike I ever sat on. He turns up a 1200cc motorcycle. Wow. Okay. He's just he was just putting the maths together there. So I, I drive a I drive a 1.8 as as a vehicle as a car, and you've turned you've you've turned up with a 1.2. Uh, okay. That's that's <laughs> it's unbelievable yeah. that, that that you would be able to do that. Of course, but uh, invaluable well, to you. Well, the the beautiful thing about never doing anything before is that you have like a kind of a really nice naiveness about course, it. You and don't, you don't know, know all the wrong things that could go wrong, yeah. which is good and bad. But you know. I, you know, I, I was clearly very confident. I just knew I could do it. So I just got, you know, he told me to get on the bike. So I did. And, uh, and we had a great day. So this, uh, and of course, obviously a natural ability, clearly from what you're saying, you've got on the bike and it's, it's been, you know, it's, it's been like walking for you. It's relatively simple. Have you had any experience with that type of balance before? I'm trying to put something in my head here with reference to maybe horses or something where you've been able to understand poise and balance and, did that ever happen? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, I grew up in London riding horses. I played polo, and um, you know, I was always balancing off different various objects and okay. climbing crazy things and all that kind of stuff. So, so there is some backstory, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, so certainly, as far as uh, as far as that natural ability is concerned, that that there was something there. You you played polo before. You were familiar with horses and balance and that sort of stuff. So that's obviously where that came from. Um, and therefore, obviously, motorcycles then presumably became a, a, a fairly p big part of your life. I'm guessing once you'd been bitten by the bug. Yeah, I loved it. I mean, I was at the track all the time, um, and it was great. You know, we'd spend weekends there and sleep on the track and just you know race all day long have a bottle of scotch at night and then wake up in the morning and do it all over again yeah it's a standard um, uh, standard diet there we'll just finish yeah. this bottle of scotch <laughs> and then we'll go back and drive again that's what we'll do yeah. 
<laughs> so, uh, probably food was taken at some point as well. I'm just yeah, getting yeah. some sort of balance here so we can soak all of that up. Next is a man who is a shining light in the world of action and stunts unlimited. Chances are, if you've seen a movie over the last 10 years, Chris O'Hara has been part of it. It's like a box office hit parade. Baby Driver, uh, Red Sparrow, Venom, Fast and Furious, Hobson Shaw, Free Guy, and now Bullet Train. I start by asking him about the Bourne supremacy and about how much of the action with the actor was done for real. I, I read recently that uh, Bourne's supremacy had, had changed the way that action was shot. Um, now, I wondered if, if you would agree with that, because certainly, you're, uh, I know from, a, from, a, from the director's point of view, he was very keen on doing something different. Uh, you were obviously in there from, from early on. What was your understanding of, of his requirements uh, from the um, action department? Dan just wanted, I mean... Dan just wanted to be in it. He wanted you to be in the car chase. He wanted to feel it. He wanted to just, he, he created this energy that, you know, he did a lot of handheld cameras. He was, yeah. you know, on insert cars with handheld cameras. He was, he was in the car with you driving. It just kind of gave you this kind of very frenetic kind of vibe and visceral mm. feel when you were in this, in these car chases. And it just, it was something that hadn't really been, done before hadn't you know maybe it was maybe it had been done before but it hadn't been so in a such a mainstream yeah movie i mean i can't look at you know i look back at any references in film of, of things that kind of had that same kind of vibe but it was just it, again it was the right time for everything to align sure. it was a great character it was a great story it was a great script it was something fresh it was something new it was the the new bond yeah. You know, so it had all these eyes on it and then had this great car chase that that just was something new. And and they just kind of built on it. It was great to be great to be part of it. And and it's it's one of those and then also, you know, with the car chase aspect of it, they also did the the fight aspect of it. You know, there was definitely there was a style of fighting in the in the Bourne movies yes. that kind of that set a whole new genre. I mean, when we kind of you, I, I feel very fortunate to to be part of a couple movies out there that kind of people referenced mm -hmm. for years and years and years. They knew that I was part of the Matrix. So they go, "We want the Matrix style action." Right. Okay, that's great. I was part of that. I can, you know, we can do that. And then it was the Born. Oh, we want the Born kind of action, which yeah. again was super satisfying to know for you know for a while there. I was part of of two movies that every movie wanted uh, to copy yeah they wanted that whole thing it's that phrase isn't it it's when the director says right this is what i'm looking for you know this movie i want that only better and then yeah. you have to go oh hang on uh, that was really very good you know how much more yeah. have i got to do to create that uh, but those um the, the, i mean there's picard chase sequences left right and center but not like that because it was done yeah. in a certain way and the fights you know having a having a fight with a magazine for instance uh, instead yeah, of no, a prop you know some other prop. super super clever just outside the box thinking how much do you think the edit added or took away from the film though um don't say <laughs> <laughs> Three minutes. <laughs> a Twelve-minute fight. Cut <laughs> down. Um, I think. Um, I think the, the edit kind of. I think it helped it. Mm, I think it's yeah. just you know when you do the whole 
the 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 whole car chaser in it and but when you see all the pieces with the first unit and and that was one thing that dan did really really well was that he put the actors into the mix we yeah. at that point using the gomobile and and we were really putting the actors into the action which i think definitely helps you know you don't see just a cutaway to a green screen hmm. you know you saw them driving through you know the actual environment which was something that was really really cool and didn't take you out of it there, there is a moment in that where where uh, uh matt damon is is in the car and is broadsided by another vehicle and then it spins around the road now the obviously the 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 edit cuts from it arriving in the shot and then boom then it cuts to him but it looked so so real i mean was it was it done on on a sort of on a gimbal or was it uh, how was it done um so that was kind of you have to get a plate right so you have to do a plate shot to get matt into the the situation and so i actually i was the one for the big wide shot Uh got broadsided by the car right and then we did the same thing with a a camera car or no like a like a trailer with a camera on that put the the camera right into the line of of fire you put a crash housing around it you put that's how we were using. We had bumpers on a trailer so that the actual truck could hit it. Okay. And so it doesn't have to happen at um, full speed, but you get the you get that vision. So when you're in the green screen environment over Matt Damon, you see a truck yeah. coming right to the right to the car. Yeah. And so at that point, then you do have it on kind of, we didn't, I don't know if we had a turntable at that point, but we definitely had it hooked up to a ratchet right. that kind of gave whipped that input around. to the car yeah. that whipped it around. It kind of gave the action that would actually happen or that did happen in the wide shot um, with Matt Damon. And you throw some rubber glass in there and it's, it's pretty seamless. And that was something that Dan Bradley had done early on, on a movie called adaptation. Right. It was, um, and so I think Spike Jones had directed it, mm-hmm. and I know that Dan Bradley had worked with Spike Jones a bunch, and so he had done that shot on adaptation, and so it was one that people, again, one of those shots that people talked about yeah. for a very long time, and so again, that was another one that goes, we want the, we want the car hit from Born Supremacy, or yeah. we want the, we want the car hit from an adaptation. And so being around it and seeing how it was done, it was just another one of those moments in cinema that has now been recreated numerous, numerous times since. Again, you know, it, maybe- it, it also helps that, that, that um, uh, I assume it was an interview with Graham Norton, that uh, uh, Matt Damon had, has, has wrecked a fair few cars in his time. So he is familiar with, with what happens when you get impacted by another car and he did sell it terribly well i must admit you know that we put everything together and you're in the middle of an actual car crash and there's no choice about it It was great stuff next is a stunt man who sadly left us in august of last year asha agadasi was from iran and was capable of just about everything his passion for the movie business and the stunts he and his team performed couldn't be contained As you'll hear in this clip, myself and my co-host Blake Spawn don't say too much. We let Arsha speak as he's bursting to tell us all about his life in stunts. I open by asking him about his stunt group Stunt 13 and about stunt women in Iran. 
So let's look then at, at Stunt 13, which is obviously the concept that you're, you're referring to and the, and the company that you uh, founded. Um, yep. You've mentioned there with reference to um, uh, women and, and uh, the, the business. Uh, of course, the, the, one of the, the, the major women there is Marsha Ahmadi, who, who of course yes. went on to come over here to, to, to the States. And so it was you, Marsha and uh, Amir. Yeah, uh, they are they are my they are my students. Right. But uh, uh, Amir came after two years, which is I had a two years my institute my own my own institute. Then yeah. I accept him, and uh, because I saw these guys, they are doing parkour in the in the park, and uh, I, I just don't like these guys doing parkour outside. I mean, outdoor without any crash metal. Yeah. And I invite them to come to my club because I have a crash mat and everything. And um, I said it's the best uh, place for you guys doing parkour because I don't want to see any people get damaged. As the stunts, we're always looking for safety, which is I learned from Payman right. to you always responsible of the safety of the people. This is the main uh, job of the stunts. Certainly. That's why it goes on my mind. And uh, I'm a very good student. And... Um, because I grew up when I was four years old, I grew up with the martial arts, with the, with the uh, obey your teachers, always respect, uh -huh. and uh, this is the way I grew up. That's why I obey the way even payment told me. Then uh, I I had uh, 25 students, and the, the two names that you mentioned, these guys are just two of them. Right. But uh, I love them too much because after four years, uh, Amir uh, looks like one of my brother. That's why <laughs> uh, you see their names too much. Yeah. And I, I, I found Massa as my girlfriend after four years. And uh, she works for me. Amir has worked for me. And uh, we had a great time together. And uh, I teach everything which is I learned. And uh, I I try to make them uh, position, and um, which is we never had. I can make an example. When me and Payman went to the set, I can say they teasing us, they joke us, and they don't respect us at all. And uh, even the catering give us the good um, respect. I can say that. I was going to say you, even, you, you must you must never annoy anybody on catering because it'll it'll end up they'll poison your food if you're if you're. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, stunts is not the unknown. Stunts was really unknown on yeah. that moment. But payment with with me and the crew, we fight too much to get the position, get the respect. Right. And when we lost him, I, I fight more because I see my great teacher died and he put his life for his beliefs. Yes. So that was my duty to continue the road he started, and I have to finish it the way he liked to. And, um, but right now, when I go to the set, the director come from the monitor and come say hi to me and all of my crew uh -huh. to show their respect because uh, because I respect them a lot. I respect every people on the set, and I I, I I have a very very good energy filled between all of us. I can say when Gary Paul will come to the set and the first day because we've been doing rehearsal almost two weeks something like this and, well, I mean, uh, let's, let's, let's touch on that for a moment because of course the, yeah. you're referring to Skyfall um, yeah. and uh, this was uh, uh, in Turkey 
where you were yeah. where you were filming this. There's a, a number, a couple of sequ- well, a number of sequences. You're involved in the in the market uh, sequence and also uh, in the motorbike sequence. I particularly enjoy the moment where Lee Morrison comes crashing through the window, and you're all sat around the yeah, table yeah. right underneath it. Yeah, Lee Morrison and uh, Robbie Madison. Man, that man is unbelievable, amazing. Mm. Robbie Madison, he's really rock. Can, can you put into some sort of words for us the the, the we, try and understand it from from your point of view? that you've you've seen these movies you've seen the action and all the excitement that goes on and you've gone done the the action concept and you've followed this mentor of yours to suddenly get an opportunity to work on a Bond movie which is a very big job and not only a a Bond movie but this Bond movie which was hugely successful give give us an idea of that I always say here in my country, I was so lucky, um, unbelievable lucky. But I, I made my luck always. Sure. Uh, I fight for my luck. I'm, I'm living in a country which is, uh, we have no opportunity to show yourself. Uh-huh. It's a very lim- uh, restrict country, and uh, it's really hard to shine. But uh, I always say, if we, if they just put you in, if you just make you on the limits too much. Your potential gets high too much. Uh, I mean, you you fight inside of yourself to shine because you want to show yourself. And um, I was working the one uh, Turkish movie, right? And I jumped with the car above the truck. And uh, when the, when we, uh, uh, it's funny story because when I prepare my pipe ramp, when I prepare the uh, truck in front of the pipe ramp and yes. everything. I hear everybody is whispering in the Turkey language, which is I hear something and I, I, I don't feel uh, positive energy. I feel negative energy, unfortunately, on that moment. Right. Uh, I believe it and I just always get this signal from the outside because I learn from the signals from the outside. Because as I told you, uh, I, I don't have, I, I have not a chance to learn a lot from the payment because we lost them too much. That's why I try to learn many things by my experience, unfortunately. Uh-huh. For example, my first tumbling of the car, as I told you, I just saw in the movies and I tried to make the way of my roll cage inside the car, which is I'm still doing my own roll cage always. You're, you're, love... you're, de- you're designing and creating your own roll cages for the car? Yes. Right. And, uh, um, I, and um, when I'm, I want to do the, that Turkish movie, I see the whispering and I said, okay, what's, what's wrong with is anything some is something wrong here? And uh, my friend said, "No, no, no, everything's okay." But I said, "No, I don't see anything's okay. I don't feel good something here." And said, "Okay, this guy said you cannot jump." I said, "I mean, I have not authorized to jump because I'm Iranian." No, no, it's not about authorized. You cannot because you cannot. You are not. Uh, you are not able. Oh, I'm not able to jump. So why they are invite me? Why they are pay me for uh, this? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, okay, I said, okay, who said that? So no, 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 don't make a fight. He said, man, I don't want to make a fight. I just want to ask him, why? Because maybe he sees something which is I don't see. Or because maybe, because he's, it's Turkey, maybe they know something about this field or something. Uh-huh. Yep. Maybe they have some knowledge. So no, because there are too many. I said, okay, how many? I said, too many. I said, okay, five, four, six, how many? I said, all of them. Man, all Everybody? of them say... I am, I'm not able to jump. Were, were, they, were they taking bets to see whether you were going to make it or not? Is exactly. Exactly. And I, say, and I go top of the car because we have a roll cage and you can't go on the top and yeah. nothing happened. And I get the... Megaphone? What you call this? Yeah. 
big maker from said, okay, I know you said I'm not able to jump and I want to make a bet. <laughs> I want and some of this talked. action, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and nobody talked. I said, mm, okay, I said this car will jump 35 meters. Said, and in the Turkish language, Olmaz means impossible. Everyone said, Olmaz, Olmaz. <laughs> and I said, who said that? And some guy said, maximum you can jump 8 meters. I said, 8 meters? 8 Man. meters. The car, the length of the car is five meters. I cannot even jump the two times length of my car. So you, you say eight minutes, so maximum 10 meters. I said, okay, make a bet. And when I said, okay, start a bet, they're coming. I said, definitely my car will jump 35 meters. And the maximum number they gave me is 20 meters. I said, okay, if it's more than 20 meters, I win. If less than 20 meters, you win. But right. I said, definitely 35. So I will say minimum than 30 meters, you win. Right. And then everybody gets happy because 30 meters is a number which is they said it's impossible. They, they assume that they're going to be, they're going to get some money from this because you're not going to be able exactly. to do it. Exactly. Okay. Just one man uh, make a bet on me, which is the man who helped me to hammer down my, my ramps to the ground. Right. Because he worked uh, to the hammer, uh, smash the, the pin to the ground. Yes. That's why he feels so um, something, feel friendly, more friendly with us confidence yeah 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 the old man and he just come and whisper to my ear man just make it on 20 meters okay <laughs> to take win don't don't say terry i said trust me you win what speed are, what speed was this at 80 80 uh, miles <laughs> uh, no, no no not miles not miles oh, kilometers at 40 yeah, yeah. miles now. yeah and uh, but my style when I want to exactly on the moment touch the ramp but depends on the scene differently I just push the gas to kick him yes to more 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 power more energy to to initiate uh, pretty well because when you have a kicker on the on your ramp a kicker gets your speed lower that's why uh, for um, for equalize my speed as uh, I keep steady on 80 but on the last moment I push the gas up to the, I mean, push it, push the gas. And uh, I always put the wheels on the opposite side to make a barrel roll. But in, in this situation, I cannot do the barrel roll in the air because uh, I asked the truck for the, because they asked me to the jump to through the truck stuff. But the truck they bring it for me, uh, the length of the um, cargo is not too high. And the length of the um, difference, the, I mean, the, the bottom of the truck, the trailer. It's like yeah, it's 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 too high, which is I'm totally afraid. I'm go uh, before I jump high, I touch to the iron part, which is it's very bad pressure. That's why I said I don't uh, go on the barrel. I go in the middle of my car and the pipe ramp, uh, so it looks like a ramp for jumping. Uh, so they didn't let your car to the barrel in the air. So I did my jump. As soon as it came out from the, the car, I just said, bring the meters. I just meters and it's exactly 35 meters. Oh man, they just, as all movies, they come to hugs you and they're all happy. And I said, okay, it's a time to take baits out. <laughs> and too many cigarettes coming. I said, man, no chocolate, no money. So no, we make a bet on cigarettes. <laughs> Fuck, oh. I don't smoke cigarettes. Why no so you chocolate? Couldn't, you couldn't please? fund your next gag then. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> the director was so happy and he said, okay, please don't put picture or anything on uh, any social media or something. And um, when in the road, when I went back to my hotel, I seen a Facebook 
they put a picture on my jump. I said, who put this picture? The director said, no one put this picture. And I just want to make a call. I said, the director profile. <laughs> and I just called him. Uh, you said don't put any pictures, but you put the picture exactly right now. So, yes, because I see this is not a sacred type of, uh, sacred moment of my movie, so you can't put it. And I said, okay, would you please type the meters? Because for me, this is very important. So yes, of course. And I put it and I share that. Uh, share his picture and in the road I see Gary Powell like my picture mm. <laughs> Gary Powell like my picture have you, have you got the video have you still got the video of this yeah yeah I, I have and I said oh, so definitely it's a fake uh, profile of him because mm. it's not interesting for him the car jump of the truck he see billion sequences and shots like this and uh, after three weeks I received an email and they said we are going to shoot the next James Bond movie in um, uh, in Istanbul and Adana and uh, we see your job and we're interested to you come and involve but um, you need to send me back an email and I said okay this is a very fake email but it's so funny I answered I said a very nice joke and uh, after two weeks after this email, I sit and watching TV and my sister is uh, beside me and my phone is ringing and someone with a very British accent speaks, okay, we are going to shoot the next James Bond movie in Adana. I said, okay, where is Adana? I said, it's in Turkey. Oh, I said, okay. So you answered our email and I just want to make confirm you have to be there on that date on 2 p.m. And said, okay, I will be there and hang up. And my sister said, what, what's, what's going on? I said, that's joking. Someone called me and said, come to the James Bond movie. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> it's not possible. And my sister said, maybe it's right. I said, come on, James Bond movie. I'm not even the spark on it. I'm, I'm nothing. Billions of great stunt women, stunt men are there and no chance, definitely no chance. And I said, I thought maybe, okay, maybe my friends from Turkey, because I had even bungee jumping in Turkey. Yeah. I made a bungee jumping in Turkey and I had a big problem with the mafia and bungee jumping in Turkey because they treat me, you have to go back to your country, we don't let you to make a bungee. I said, man, I come here to make a bungee and I earn money from the bungee and go back home. And which is I did. And uh, I thought, okay, these are my friends. They want to invi invite me to the Turkey again with a joke. Because they know I'm, I love stunts. They know I'm, uh, when they said anything is about stunts, I put all of my life, my time, my everything's on it. So they want to bring me in Turkey again and make a joke with me. That's why I said, okay, it's a good reason. Say James Bond. Of course it's not James Bond. One week before the date, I just suddenly feel something in my stomach. I said, maybe it's right. Maybe it's a real story. Or maybe it's a Turkey James Bond, not real James Bond. Because you know, some Bollywood movies always copy the movies. I said, maybe it's a Turkey cinema movie wants to make a James Bond movie for themselves and they call it James Bond. I said, okay, I go. I take tickets and go there. And uh, Adana Airport is very small. And we, when we go out, just 40 people was in the airport. Not anymore. So with your eyes, you can easily see, easily see anyone comes to you to look after you or not. So everyone goes out, nothing in the airport. 
I just standing in an empty airport and said, okay, definitely was a joke. No one even come to us. <laughs> and I just saw that, uh, just by chance, I had the number who calls me and I just called him back and said, okay, I'm in the airport and nobody comes. I said, your plane got a two hours delay. Wow. She knows that. She said, okay, go out, find the boss. It's called B25. I said B25. What is B25? It's a line of the boss. What is a B? It's not even the name of the movie. The James Bond is the James Bond. It's a 007 or something. What's B25? I never guessed it means the Bond 25. Number 25. Yeah, I never <laughs> guessed that, you know? Because it's I, I, not even one person. I'm, I just told myself it's a real story. Then I see, I knock the door and the man, very big fat man, is sleeping like this. And he opened the door. He didn't even say hi to us. And we just, I just sit in the bus and said, okay, maybe he stole us. But that was an adventure. It was a nice story. Let's go. Let's, let us install us. It's, we go somewhere and have an adventure. We, were to the, uh, we, we, we arrived to the very big place. I saw six Land Rover, gray one. I saw the bikes rider jumping. I saw the cars drifting. It looks like paradise. I just looked <laughs> everywhere. Oh, man, this is paradise. Oh, what is it? And I saw some man's passing with the ID card in the chest. And I tried to see the name and I, I didn't see nothing because he passed so fast. And uh, he come and said, okay, you are late and uh, you need to take an exam. And if you accept, you go on this way. If you fail, you go that way. I, I look at that way. I see two boss with the many peoples, which is they are failed. I said, oh, exam. Okay, let's do it. And I said, okay, I said, okay uh, what we started? I said, with the driving, uh, pick the car and let's start the driving. I see many cars is parked. And I just see, okay, some of them is a BMW, which is, I'm totally sure it's a for a movie. So they definitely not give a chance to me to ride this BMW. And I said, okay, I take the cab, taxi cab. Because I just thought maybe in the movie there was some chasing for the cab and they want to do something and I want to be smart and I picked a good shoes and I just picked the cab and go inside with the manual shift and the, I try the handbrake, which is it's working or not. And uh, someone come and sit in my back. And uh, he said, okay, start driving. And he have a paper and a pen in his hand. I put my mirror on him, which is I can't see him easily. And he start speaking with me. I thought, okay, maybe it's the exam of the language because he talked too much with me. He, maybe he wants to know, can I drive and talk? Which is in my country, they drive, talk, eat texting, everything, and driving. In my country, in the street, everyone doing the same. And I just keep driving, and he said, okay, make a U-turn. As soon as I make a U-turn, I was in the second shift. Uh -huh. I see him, because I put my mirror on him, I see him from this side, he just jump on that side with the head to the mirror. And I said, okay, if you want, your taxi driver can drive slowly. I said, yes, yes, so I want to go airport and I'm not in rush. So drive very slowly. I said, okay. And I drive slowly. And he said, okay, your passenger got the hairy and he wants to take the plane and he's, uh, it's going to be late. So you can't go faster. The story goes like this. I go faster. I do handbrake. I do everything. I do drifting. And he didn't even move in my back. I said, <sighs> He joking with me. In my first U-turn, he just threw himself on that side. But right now, I put my feet on the on, on the on the dashboard, which is like when I'm doing this, don't move my body, uh -huh. and he can write and he doesn't move. 
what's going on? And when I came out and he said, okay, nice, that's it, that's it, and go on that way. Suddenly some guys with a very nice smile comes to me, his name is Pete Miles. Pete oh, Miles, Miles come and yeah. say, yeah, come, and he, he, he came and say hi and said, uh, welcome guys, and do you know who's taking an exam with you? I said, no. He said, he's Ben Collins. And I said, uh-huh. uh-huh. And uh, he said, you know Ben Collins? Uh, in my mind, I didn't know that. I said, uh, I want to say, suddenly in one second, I just make a guess. I said, okay, if I say yes, maybe he wants to say something about him, which is I don't know. If I say no, and he will say, who's that someone he, he don't know, Ben Collins? I was in a bad situation on that moment. I mean, two head is loose. And I just, I just tried to say, uh, uh, Ben Collins uh, said, you don't know? I said, oh man, he asked again. I cannot tell a lie. And I, if I say truth, it's a very bad. It's a shameful. I don't know him. And I said, uh, no. He said, did you know Top Gear? I said, of course I know Top Gear. Did you know a stick? I said, yes. He's a stick. I said, man, he's a stick. Can I take a picture with him? Please, please. I just ran inside of the cabin, which is he started to chat with his friend. I just go on my knees and said, I love you. I love you. You are my legend. Because Stink I Stink worship. Yeah. Because I know in that one show from the Top Gear, they want to come to Iran. But because it was a BBC show, they don't let them to come. No. And I just, right. yeah, I just always said, oh, man, I'm sorry because they don't let, uh, let you guys come to the Iran because of the BBC show. I'm so sorry about it. I said, no, man, come on. It's nothing. And stand up, please. Stand up. It's not good. You're on your knees. Come on, stand up. <laughs> and it's just a stand up. I hug him. I said, man, I hug Stig. I hug Ben Collins. Man, that was so cool. I was so happy on that moment. Then our journey was a start. I can say every two days uh, when I back to hotel, I keep crying because I see, I, I saw Bob Hollington, I saw uh, all, all the stunts, uh, Andy Lister, that was the first movie of Andy Lister on that moment, he was yeah. doubling of the Bond, and he's a very nice guy, and uh, I saw all of them in the pack, in the, in the one place, I see all of them, which is I follow them, I try to learn from his movies, their movies in the, um, in the social medias, and I had a chance now to ask them. I had a chance to speak with them. Yes, of course. For me, it's, so, it's, it's very valuable. You know, because for the people who has no chance, uh, the, for the people who has no opportunity, mm. when they see the opportunity, it's very important. And uh, I'm, I'm very honest. I'm not a person that said, mm, okay, it's not good to ask, but I go to ask. You know, I, I ask a lot from this sharp, and he gave me the chance on the last rigging day in the train, which is the bone gets shot and fall down from the train. Yeah. He, he gave me the chance to rigging. And I know it's a very important because mm. he just worked with his own crew, uh, just with three guys, and he trusts me because during I worked 75 days. During the 75 days, he 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 focused on me. Right. He kept looking on me. I remember on the day uh, they had a scene which is Bond gets uh, with the bike crashed the fence and uh, and he jumped to the train. Yes, and. Uh, would, because we were in the Turkish crew, 
uh, in our ID card, they, they type it TK stunt. It means Turkish stunt. Right. Uh, because the production of the Turkey make a contract with us. And uh, we are not authorized to get so close to these guys. And I respect that laws, but I love to go to close to these guys because I love them. And uh, I see in the moment, for example, when they want to do the ringing, I need that carabiner, which is a little far. Mm-hmm. I just hardly go and bring that carabiner and make it closer, and I just escape. And because I know it, I'm not authorized to touch it, but I cannot control myself. You know, I love this job. <laughs> I love it deep, deep of my side. I can't, I really cannot. And uh, when, again, they want something, I, I, try, I go uh, fast and bring it and bring it and put it closer to them. Yes. And I just escape again. And uh, six, uh, 40 days after that, some, some problems happened in the set. And these come and speak to me and said, man, I'm stunt coordinator. I said, of course, I know that. I saw you when you bring some stuff and bring it to closer. I see everything. I see your passion. I see your heart. And when someone talk like this to me, I start crying like a kid. Well, it makes a, it obviously makes a huge difference to, to, to you based on your love of, of the whole job to be in a situation on a movie like that where, where you can be exactly. used to the best of your ability. Well, I'm sure that those who knew him will agree that it was great hearing his voice again, and we'd like to dedicate this episode to his memory. So, how do you follow that? Well, you go to a man who is everyone's hero. Arsha was very aware of the stuntman. I imagine if you threw a stick, you'd hit half a dozen stunties who were definitely directly influenced by him. When Blake and myself started the stunt pod, we had a wish list. A list of guests that we'd like to have on. Top of the list was Terry Leonard. Primarily because we never thought for a moment we'd get him on. But we did. And he was amazing at everything you'd expect. Here, he tells us about being in Hollywood at the start of his career. He'd been doing extra work and uh, had to give up his football career due to an injury. Uh, ultimately, through that period, of course, and then uh, working slightly further beyond, it wasn't that long that uh, that uh, you, you managed to get a uh, man called Horse because you were playing a character role in that as well, weren't you? Right. I played Striking Bear. The Indian, and I tried to get a friend of mine, Buzz Henry, to play the part, and they said, "No, you're going to play the part anyway." Make a long story short, about how I ended up with that movie. That was the first picture I ever coordinated. Yeah. And back in the day, there weren't a lot of coordinators. There was you'd get your job through the first AD, the second AD wardrobe would would recommend you. You'd be requested by an actor, by the director. A myriad of people other than what we're, we know now as stunt coordinators. Mm-hmm. You don't get on a movie now unless you go through the stunt coordinator. Yes, they, got, they got power sometimes greater than the director when it comes to picking the stunt personnel for a film. Right. But back then, there were a few coordinators. Hal Needham uh, was the first breakthrough big-timer of coordination. And on a picture, a director would pick out a certain guy that would help him but he was not known as the stunt coordinator. Uh So interestingly enough, uh, I was over in in Spain doubling Jim Brown, the black football player on a a movie called uh, with Raquel Welch, a movie called 100 Rifles. And I being white, there weren't really any black cowboys in the business back then that they would take to Spain. 
So they took me and they blacked me down and curled my hair, which is something you cannot do today. No. And, but back then, they were a lot more liberal because there weren't a lot of black guys that were known as stuntmen. Not only that, but just not cowboys, mm-hmm. per se. So they took me over there, and uh, there was a, a group of, of reporters coming from South Africa to interview Jim Brown as to what he was doing to help black actors in the business and whatever. So he said to Joe Bim, the production manager, I can't have Terry Dublin me. Right. And Fox Studios had budgeted for two guys. They budgeted Stan Barrett to double uh, Burt Reynolds, which he never came over, and Donna Garrett to double uh, Raquel and myself to double Jim Brown. Well, Raquel, I mean, uh, Donna Garrett came over. I went over. Barrett didn't come over. Right. So they didn't have the budget. For to bring to keep me and bring another stunt guy. So Joe Bim came to me and he said, uh, "I got to let you go." And back then, I was I, I didn't hardly go to bed. There was a lot of stuff to do at night when they all rap. You know that right. part of the rest. Of the <laughs> so they're the stories I'm interested in. Terry. That, that's a whole other career. Different yeah, stories. They're, right. they're the stories I'm interested in, Terry. So <laughs> it's, it's, we're going to get to that they, later. Okay. When they yell rap and they shut the harps off, I, that's what. That's when I came alive. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, I, I, I was, because we, we were in Almeria, and we stayed at the Grand Hotel, which was right, right on the crossroads there at the Mediterranean. Right. Either go left or right to go to the different spots in Spain. And the hotel at night, we had a band in there, and I mean, we'd come in from work, and my goodness gracious, it was just a wonderful, a wonderful place to be, and it was going to break my heart to leave that. Huh. But I had to. I was going to go to Madrid. The, the same producer was doing a film in Madrid, so they kept me on salary for five weeks. I toured Spain and all over. Went to France and England and all over. Keep checking with the studio in Madrid. Of course, we didn't have cell phones back then. You had to go to your payphone and all that to find out when that high fall was going to be taking place. So I got to tour Europe for a little more than a month. Went back to Spain, Madrid, and did the high fall and came home. Now, here's another spot in your career where tragedy at the, at the time revealed to be something that was worthwhile. Right. Had I not been fired, I'd have still stayed in Spain and worked and continued on as an MD stuntman. Uh-huh. I was fired. And the timing was right. I got off the airplane in L.A., and for some reason, I said, I need to call my answering service, which was Teddy's. Back then, everybody, if you were a stunt guy, you were listed with Teddy's. Right. If you weren't with Teddy's, you couldn't really be considered a stuntman. Okay. So I called called Teddy's, and they said, Terry, you got to get a hold of Dave Salvin immediately. They want you over at CBS Studio Center. They want to interview you for a, a, a movie to coordinate at the stunt coordinator. So I had the, at that time, the taxi took me to, I didn't even go home. I've been in Europe for three months. I hadn't even gone home yet. Right. I went straight to CBS Studio Center and met with the people who were doing The Man Called Horse and ended up as the stunt coordinator on that movie. 400 head of horses. You can't believe everybody said, what is Leonard doing coordinating (laughs) that movie? Now you talk about guys angry at me. Yeah. Boy, and I, some of my dearest friends today 
I, I heard through the grapevine what they had said about me. And, of course, I'd forgotten all of that. didn't matter to me later on. But there was a lot of guys that were just saying, what is that dummy doing? He don't know anything. And they were right. Yeah. <laughs> they were absolutely right. I mean, what business did I have in taking over the job on a man called horse as a coordinator when all these big timers had been passed by? Sure. So, and that, that was a blessing in disguise there because I met Yakima Canuck. He was directing the second unit on that movie. And I followed him around like a puppy dog. And I said, you know what? I'd been in the business just long enough to know that if I continued doing the stunts I was doing, that my career would be over. And and the lesson I learned in Canada about getting hurt, I I realized I was not invincible, which I thought I was at one time in my life. And uh, I realized I wasn't. So I followed Yakima around. I had dinner with him every night. He told me so many things. And uh, I said, this is what I want to do. I don't want to be an actor. That doesn't interest me whatsoever. But I want to get in the director's guild. Right. And continue, hopefully, my career when I become too beat up to do what I'm doing now. And lo and behold, that's what happened. I mean, I've had seven major hip replacements and a lot of stuff that's happened to me that would keep me from being an athlete anymore. But I made a living for so many years, along with doing stunts back yeah. in the day when you could be the director of the second unit. And I just pick off the biggest money stunts and do them. And still, I'm the boss. I'll do this. And to make a long story short, I um, I end up being a director and I'm still doing it. So, and I, I'm almost 80 and, and uh, it served me well. So those lessons... If you take time to realize and look through and be patient, sometimes tragedy will lead you down another path that if you hopefully you're smart enough to realize what's happening and where you're going. There you go. That's it. Hopefully you will have enjoyed my birthday as much as I have. And with any luck, I'll have finished the day off by drinking sake in my favorite Chinese restaurant. Keep checking out the social media for all the latest and new stuff. And don't forget, there is another podcast coming on Wednesday. You really are being spoiled, aren't you? Until then, bye for now. Just how much we
Our hearts tell us so. 